Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. It's going to be a good one today. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Joel Grote, and I agree totally with Lynn, because today we have another episode with Micah Wilder, whose new book, Passport to Heaven, is should be out by the time this podcast is airing. So, Micah, welcome to the podcast, and for our listeners who maybe haven't listened to any of the previous episodes with you, go ahead and start by giving us just a little background on who you are and why in the world we would even have you on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm a, I'm a part of Adams Road Ministry. Uh, I am the son of the famed Lynn Wilder, and uh, I. Oh, there's uh, reason enough right there. So <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need to know. Um, so I grew up as a very faithful Mormon. Uh, went on a mission at 19, and uh, it was during my two-year mission experience in the state of Florida that God used um, various people, but most importantly, His Word, to uh, to pierce my blindness and to open my eyes to the truthfulness to the gospel of Christ. I was born again as a Mormon missionary. Um, and ended up facing the repercussions of that born-again experience uh, with my family and friends, uh, which later grew into the ministry that we now, now have called Adam's Road. And so we've been doing this for 15 years, and, uh, and I praise God for, for bringing me to truth. And for people who don't know, Adam's Road is an outreach, but it's also a band, um, very musically. And their first albums were like exclusively scripture set to music. Um, you guys have branched out since then, but just some excellent music, excellent content. So if you go to adamsroadministry.com, is that right? Is that where you yep, guys are? That's it. Um, you can get all their music for free. It's there to listen to, to download. And it's like, it's fantastic music. In fact, the music that starts and ends this podcast is from Adams Road. They've graciously allowed us to use uh, some of their instrumental stuff for pretty much anything we want. So thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. <laughs> So Micah's book is called Passport to Heaven, the true story of a zealous Mormon missionary who discovers the Jesus he never knew. This book will be officially released June 2nd, 2021. You can find it on Amazon or anywhere Christian books are sold. I highly recommend it. And if you've read Unveiling Grace and think you know the story, believe me, um, (laughs) you'll want to read Passport to Heaven. So I was so excited about all of this. I actually went to my knees and and, um, was asking the Lord, like, what part of this story we should emphasize? Yeah. And I... um, I got this idea that Micah often throughout his Mormon missionary experience talks about something called love elders or a love crusade or a love movement. He was a zone leader. And then um, please do not cringe, but um, (laughs) there's kind of a contrary called 
number Nazis. And so we're going to spend a whole episode talking about the difference between love elders and number Nazis today and what this has to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Michael, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> a very unique topic uh but i think it's it's a it's a it's a wonderful one um so so this whole concept of love elders and this love crusade it was born out of what the word of god was teaching me as i was growing in the knowledge and grace of christ throughout my two-year mission so i had been put in this unique position of being a zone leader which essentially meant that i had a spiritual and temporal stewardship over about 20 missionaries and part of this responsibility was that once every few weeks, I would gather those 20 missionaries together around a conference room table at an at a LDS chapel, and I would essentially give a training on whatever subject I felt was most important. So you have to understand that I'm reading the New Testament as I'm a zone leader. So the more that I'm reading the New Testament, the more that the gospel principles are being poured into my heart, the more that this is changing my life and opening my eyes, then the more I'm communicating these life-changing truths to the missionaries that the Mormon church has given me stewardship over. And so as I was reading the New Testament, the, the, the principle that was most life-changing for me was love. And uh, that one simple word, but to understand the biblical and the doctrinal essence of what love is, and how God is love and how his love was manifest and revealed in Christ and how his plan of salvation for mankind is all centered in his love and desire to reconcile mankind to himself. This love became the driving force in my life. And so I'm reading first Corinthians 13 and I'm reading John 13 for by this will all people know that you are my disciples. If you have love one to another, if you love me, keep my commandments. My commandments are to love one another, right? If uh, the two greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbor. And so I'm reading all of these things and I'm trying to unpack, right? What is true love? And I knew love from a worldly sense. I knew it from a romantic sense. I knew it from a familial sense, but I didn't at that point in my life have a full understanding of what true love, what agape love is, which can only be known through the person of Jesus Christ. And I didn't fully know Christ yet. I, I didn't know Christ yet. I knew a Jesus, but I didn't know the fullness of the Jesus that's been revealed in scripture. And so love becomes this driving force in my life. And so as a Mormon missionary, as a zone leader, I'm getting up in front of these 20 missionaries and I'm teaching them about scriptural, biblical, New Testament love. And I am encouraging them to take that love and to make that the, the impetus that, that drives them to do everything that they do as, as a missionary. Because for me, I was beginning to be motivated by love. The reason I would go out in the morning is love. The reason I would read my scriptures or pray or, or do service or anything else, the motivation behind that became a genuine Christian love. And so all of a sudden we had kind of coined this phrase, the love crusade, and then the love elders and love elders were people who had been in zones in which I had been the zone leader and they had taken and applied these biblical principles of love to their lives and their service as missionaries. And so that's kind of the, the foundation of, of how this, this term was coined, uh, love elders. So how did that uh, look like if you were a love elder? What, how might you have done something different from just normal Mormon missionaries? 
Yeah. So I, th- I think the biggest difference was motivation, right? So our motive was not, let me do something because I've been told to, let me do something because I'll be rewarded. Let me do something because it's a number that I need to fulfill. It's let me do it because of Christ, because this is what he would have done. This is what he did do. And this was driven by love. And so I think that we really emphasized the, the Bible. We emphasized love. We emphasized grace. We emphasized forgiveness. Uh, and we emphasized Christ in a way that I think was much more so than a standard uh, Mormon missionary. So in the book, you give the example after one of the hurricanes, right? That you've got your zone and they're so excited about all the service work they're going to be. Can you tell us that story a little bit? (laughs) Yeah, so I experienced four hurricanes on my mission. And after the fourth, I think I'd finally learned the lesson uh, that God was teaching me. And um, I remember after this hurricane, it, it devastated the area that we were in, in, in Stewart, Florida. Um, and uh, I, I remember just feeling this sickness in my stomach that I was going to put on a white shirt and tie and go around and try to convert people to Mormonism when I knew that people were devastated, that people had lost homes, they had lost power, um, they, they had trees through their roofs. And, and, and I remember praying about it and talking it over with my companion. And we said, like, what's the biblical approach to this? Like, what, not to be cliche, but what would Jesus have done? What, what would a Christ follower do in the situation? And it wasn't go out in white shirts and ties and proselytize. It was, let's go serve people and let's help them and let's be, you know, love to them in a way that they needed to be loved in that moment. And I think we see this like in the ministry of Christ, because when you see him feed the 5,000, right, he, he, he provides their temporal needs, but then after that, he provides their spiritual needs, which is much more important. So I think we were kind of taking that example, like, let's provide their temporal needs, let's love them, and then we can, you know, address their spiritual needs. Of course, at that point, I was still a Mormon missionary, so uh, I... I wouldn't have adequately addressed their spiritual needs. Um, But again, it was a process for me. It wasn't, I was working out my salvation over this course of my two-year mission. And so God was slowly teaching me things. It wasn't just one epiphanous moment and all of a sudden everything was there. It was a slow process. And this was a part of that process. Now, all of this begs the question, why would this have even been an issue? Why wouldn't this have been just kind of the standard operating procedure for a church that calls itself the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who calls its people to follow Christ, to imitate Christ? And yet, in your book, this actually creates um, some waves. It creates some tension because there was another factor at play coming from the top down in terms of the expectation on you as missionaries So bring us into why, because anybody listening to this is going like, okay, so why is this an issue? Why was this a problem? It seems like this is kind of, that all your leaders, everyone would be really happy that this is kind of the tact that you were taking and you had this influence and yet that wasn't the case. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest reason was because the church had recently instituted a program that was an expectation over each missionary that they had a certain amount of, of numbers they had to fulfill, right? So you had to talk to a certain amount of people per day. You had to make a certain amount of baptismal challenges in a week, right? Okay, so you bap- had to, so for people who aren't familiar, what's a baptismal challenge? It means you had to 
challenge somebody to be baptized into the Mormon church. Like even okay. if it was your first time meeting them, if you were bold enough, you would kind of teach them a little lesson and you'd say, we'd really love you to think or pray about being baptized into the LDS church. <laughs> okay. And so and you I needed think to I do... read where that was a three times, you had to have three of those a week. Or right. Something. You had to right? have three. And you had to talk to what, five people a day. Yeah, I think each, each person had to talk to 10 people a day. So we had these, yeah. we had these standards that were set over us. And essentially it was as if we didn't fulfill these standards, then we weren't doing our job, right? We weren't fulfilling the righteousness that we were being called to as missionaries. And it was being <laughs> so these executed. Are like, these are like sales quotas, basically. Absolutely. <laughs> That's essentially what it was. And along with this program, there was a system of rewards, right? So if you hit certain numbers and hit certain marks, then you received, you know, a, a certain reward or acknowledgement oh, from okay. leadership, right? So for me and for a lot of missionaries, all of a sudden it began to change our motives, right? Our motives weren't pure and undefiled. Our motives were, well, I want the recognition. I want the reward, right? I want to be seen as somebody who's fulfilling my duty as a missionary. So this was like your test of obedience. And so right. I was starting to see a disconnect that, well, what's happening here is this program and these standards, all they're doing is making people do the right thing for the wrong reasons. And so um, that kind of started this this dissension that took place in the mission where people who knew me and they were part of my zone and they had kind of understood the principles in the New Testament re regarding love, right? They were kind of living that out while other people who were really sticking to uh, the orders that were being executed executively handed down to them from the, the church, they were starting to, you know, butt heads with us. And and so we kind of <laughs> ungraciously labeled them as number Nazis because their emphasis was on, you know, numbers and these kind of sales quotas and not on, you know, a biblical Christ-like love. Right. Okay. So, so then that leads me to tell the story from the book where you're in the middle of a hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so we were in the middle of our fourth hurricane, Hurricane Wilma. And, um, and and it was very devastating. It was a category three when it hit us. Um, I mean, we lost power, we lost uh, a phone service, I mean, everything else. And the Mormon leaders of the mission, the assistants actually called us on our cell phone in the middle of the hurricane. And instead of inquiring as to our, our safe um, status, they instead asked for us to report on our numbers for, for the week. And in, uh, in the I, middle of the hurricane, the hurricane. <laughs> while you've got a 14 foot trampoline flying by your window right. and you're on like the second floor, right? If I remember right. 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 It was something that God used in my life for me to start seeing things because I was starting yeah. to see, well, Christ is not the emphasis of the very institution that is claiming to be, his organization on the earth. And that was a way that God used me to begin questioning, right? Even the organization itself, is it what it claims to be? Right. So I want to jump in here on that point for a minute, because people assume, I think, when we're in ministry, that our point is to get people out of Mormonism, that somehow this is evil or this is bad. I I don't care whether someone's in Mormonism or not. My point is to offer this love gospel, this gospel of grace, right? I don't have any anti-feeling. I, I, there's, there's no reason to look back on any of those experiences and feel like they're negative or be angry with those people. When you're in Christ, 
you recognize that Christ has a hand in your life and he uses those things to Mm -hmm. teach you. And so you don't see them the same way when you're on the other side, right? Right. Because yeah. I've, I've had people that will approach me and say, well, my experience as a missionary was very different, right? My mission president was very yeah. love-centered, right? He, he would have been a love elder. And, and President Sorensen in my mission, not so much, right? He was very much uh, dogmatic and he was very, um, you know, numbers-based and, and, and very authority-based and, and obedience-based, right? And that may not have been everybody's experience. However, it is something that God used that helped me see truth in the Word of God. And so, you know, I just give God the, the credit for doing that, but I'm not making that a bl- blanket statement or judgment over the entire Mormon church. Right. Yeah. Because there's so much variety from, like you said, from person to person, even ward to ward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can understand now, as you explain that, why your then approach to the hurricane and what you decided to do created friction. So let's go back to that, because like you said, the expectation was that you would go out in your missionary attire, so in your white shirt, your tie, your badge, and you would start doing whatever you're going to do in your community. And instead, you did something very differently. So go ahead. Can you tell us a little bit more about what happened and then what that what that produced? Yeah, so so we ended up deciding, you know what, we're, we're not going to wear our white shirts and ties. We're going to dress in street clothes, and we're literally just going to walk around, and we're going to help people. That's it. Like, we're just whatever need that they may have, we're going to do everything that we can to serve them and to love them. And we commissioned that to the rest of the missionaries. Now, there's one small part of this story that was originally in the book that I ended up cutting. And you'll find this interesting, Joel, is when I went to that zone meeting, right, where I had met with president and the other ones and kind of shared my feelings about the numbers. Right. Um, I told president what we were doing. This is before the meeting started. We were having this conversation And he looked at me and he rebuked me very sharply. And he said, that is absolutely not your call as a missionary. Uh, The church has other systems in place for that. Your calling is to go out and to proselyte. So basically he forbid us from from continuing on in our service efforts for uh, hurricane recovery. And uh, I ended up cutting that out of the book because for the purpose, I didn't want to paint, make people paint a picture as though right. that was everybody's thing or to make president look bad. But that's actually what he told us. He said, you are, you are forbidden. You can only do one hour of service a week. Other than that, you need to be in your white shirt and tie and you need to be knocking on doors and you need to be sharing, uh, you know, the, the restored gospel. You need to that be getting those numbers because you're yep. not going to get those numbers if you're just out doing community service. Right. So... Wow. Yeah. You you describe this in the book on page 120 as the church's compulsory obedience contingency. And I found it really interesting that you said you felt like as that supplanted a relationship that you had as a child, you felt like you knew God that you used to talk to him but that, that this church's compulsory obedience contingency began to supplant that relationship with God. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then if you got that relationship with God back and what, what, what brought it back? Yeah, yeah. One of the things I enjoyed in telling this story was being able to communicate my relationship with God as a child, because it was, it was independent of Mormonism when I was really, really young. Like I, I, I had a relationship with God that was, it was, it was undefiled. It was, it was pure. It was uncomplicated. It was simple, right? It's I'm a kid. This is God. I can talk to him about anything and everything, and I can just love him and and be loved by him. 
And um, now I didn't know the fullness of that love. It was only a seed. It was only a part of where God would eventually lead me. But it was an approach to God that got muddled over time. And what muddled it was the church, to be honest, because the, the more deeply enmeshed I got into the church and its principles and its precepts, it began to supplant that simple approach to God that was outside of any other person or any religion or any system because my way yeah. to God then became the church. It became the priesthood. It became the hierarchy of, you know, my parents, my church leaders, my bishop, my stake president, you know, and ultimately the prophet, right? I had all these channels that I then had to go through to get to God. So my relationship with God was no longer pure and it wasn't undefiled and it wasn't uncomplicated. It actually became complicated because I didn't have direct access to God anymore, independent of, you know, the structure of Mormonism. And so that was one of the biggest lessons. And, and ironically, I unpack this idea when Pastor Benson told me to read the Bible like a child, not only my approach to God's word, but my approach to God himself to realize that I had that approach right from the beginning. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the wisdom. I didn't have the word of God, but I had the approach to God right when I was a child. And in a sense, Pastor Benson maybe unknowingly was calling me to go back to that approach, right? Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a child shall not enter yes. it. To have this simple, humble, loving approach to come to God and, and, and to just strip everything else and everyone away and to just be naked before God and say, this is who I am. God, love me, right? Forgive me, save me. And, um, and, and it's amazing that through God's word, I got back to what I once had as a child, but because of the word of God, I now had the fullness of that understanding. And that's kind of the revelation that happens at the end of the book was I now knew the fullness of who God was and who his, and what his love was through the person of Jesus Christ, which is revealed in the word of God. And I couldn't have that before. So in wow. Christian terms, you're really talking about performance-based religion versus salvation through grace through god's grace right? right right and so that religion getting in the way of this pure relationship to come to the feet of a savior who has done it all for you and just to love him trust him follow him read his word and allow him to change your life right and it's the it's the difference between that core motivation Mm -hmm. A core motivation of either pleasing God through performance, where, like you said in the previous episode, I think where your biggest fear was, am I really going to be able to do enough to offset? Will my performance be enough? Even though I'm trying hard, I'm still aware of my inner sin. I understand that I do fall short. The contrast of that with trusting God and what he says about you and what he's done for you. And so either that pleasing God through performance or that being that willingness to trust God and take him at his word and rest in that becomes right. the big contrast. Well, that, that was the thing that God did in my life as a missionary was bring me to that reality. And, and I remember one of the most profound verses that really, that this was kind of like my theme verse in, in the love movement. And I remember sharing this multiple times and I had it highlighted and I would read it almost daily. And it's Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. And I just want to read this. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length 
and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And and that that was like, wow. that was our theme verse in the love movement. And I remember sharing that in front of 20 missionaries multiple times, reading that and, and allowing that verse to be the motivation of what I was doing because that's what I wanted. I mean, from the time that I was a kid, I wanted love, right? That that's ultimately I, I think that's what anybody wants, right? We want to yes. be loved mm-hmm. and and we want to be loved not based on our performance, but we want to be loved unconditionally, right? And as a child, that's what parenthood is. It's it's loving your child in a way that removes all the stupid things that they do, all the mistakes that they make, and to still see them at their worst and say, I love you and I will forgive you. And so when God saw mankind, he said, I'm going to send Christ to do for you what you can never do for yourself so that I can see you and say, I forgive you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And to have agape love, right? This and Paul says that's a love that surpasses all knowledge. It surpasses understanding, right? It's 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 what we are rooted and grounded in, and it's the core of the gospel. And so to come to know that love is is the greatest thing that we can ever have. And so my encouragement to anybody: if you don't know that love, that love is in Christ. Like it's there for you, and it's waiting for you. And God has loved you already by proving that love in sending Jesus to die for your sins. And that's what I realized. Wait. I could have I could have had this all along. I could have simply trusted that Jesus was enough and 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 know that I have the assurance of my salvation in him. Wow. And that's a great place to wind up this particular episode of the podcast, Micah. Thank you so much. And we're going to do one more because one of the things that Lynn and I want to pursue with you and this is kind of a teaser so people, you know, go to the next podcast episode is you've been in ministry now for 15 years. Man, that's kind of, that's like blows my mind because I've known you or known about you for like a long time. So the fact that that's been like 15 years, it's like incredible. But anyway, so what we want to do in the next podcast is just talk a little bit about what you've learned, what God has showed you and some recommendations, some do's and don'ts in terms of Christians as they seek to minister to other people, especially as they maybe seek to minister and share the truth with other Mormon people. Um, That's what we're going to look at next time. So thanks again for being our guest, Lynn. Grace and peace. Until next time. Thank you for blessing us, Micah. Absolutely. Thanks, Micah. So long. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We have an exciting announcement. Michael Wilder's new book, Passport to Heaven, is out. And for a donation of $20 or more to the podcast, we'll send it to you. It's the true story of a zealous Mormon missionary who discovers the Jesus he never knew. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the Micah's Book button to get yours. We appreciate your support of the Unveiling Grace podcast where you can experience a grace that heals.